Steve Sanders is the owner of a company in the uh, that does some interesting stuff. He is a aerospace engineer, uh, and he designs. Uh, he he does or he's a CEO of OrbitWorks, and they actually do drone technology and get drones into Ukraine. So a lot of people have been talking about what are drones doing, how are they operating in Ukraine, what are they doing, um, and um, if you're out there, I'm sending you invitations to come up to speak. And for some reason, I just can't get you up. Uh, I don't know what's going on. Send me a message. But once we get him up, uh, we were going to have a electromagnetic spectrum discussion of how drones are controlled, how jamming affects them, uh, how you can take command and control of drones. Uh, so as I'm trying to bring him up, maybe Domin, you could uh, field a couple of questions or uh, manage, hear the, me? Uh, manage the space for a little bit. There he is. Tifa, you there? Yeah. Can you hear me? I got you loud and clear. Perfect. All right. So it worked. Uh, all right. So, hey, welcome to the show. I'm glad to, glad you're here. Could you do me a favor? And can we before we start, can you just go ahead and talk a little bit about your company and what you're doing? Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, we have been building some drones. Uh, we're actually getting ready to send a team over to build them on site to try and get rid of the crazy time to get them over there. Takes about a month from our workshop here in New York to Ukraine. Um. Other than building them some drones, we've been trying to get the word out on on how we can get more to them. Uh, every drone helps every single one. Uh, DJIs aren't the most secure, but they're still really good. Okay, so we we got the the first rule is we can't use acronyms. <laughs> Everyone's oh. not there, so so could you go ahead and spell out that acronym for us? Uh, DJI. Are you, are you guys there? Sorry, this is uh, right, yeah, giving me yeah. a bunch of beeps. Yeah, yeah, D DGI. Um, I'm not exactly sure what it stands for. They're a drone maker out of uh, China. Okay. All right. So, and and when you're when you say you're making drones, are you actually taking commercial off the shelf drones and then modifying them in some way, or what are you doing? Uh, no, sir. We actually build them from the ground up. We okay, designed so our own like. Yeah. So, so I guess my question is then, so if you're designing them, who did, did you get some kind of set of requirements from the, uh, from the Ukrainian government or kind of, did you, did you, you know, kind of sit around with a bunch of guys and go, okay, if, if, or did you define your own requirements going, Hey, I think we might want this or we want that. Or, or how did, how did you do that? Um, our drones actually don't qualify as military. They're still civilian. They do fall under the dual use, so we have some some export issues, but they're all taken care of. Uh, we got all our certificates through our end done. Uh, the Small Business Association helped us. Two groups, the EAR and BIS, I'd never heard of, do all the regulations on that. Okay, awesome. And and uh, so, so we talked a little bit offline. I told you I was an electronic warfare guy, right? So for, for through my career, my job was to actually try and stop communications through the electronic spectrum that would be able to man or uh, let a drone fly, uh, or even if it was just voice communications, right? I wanted to shut those down. So you know, as you're building your own drones, are how are you doing? How are you engaging in a sense to do what's called like electronic protect or make it so that you have low probability of intercept, low probability of detection of your drone signal, uh, and, and ensure that these drones that you're building and given to Ukraine don't fall into the Russian hands? Uh, we use a variety of, of methods. The first one would be the frequency hopping spread spectrum, which is basically it, it rapidly changes what frequency it's sending the signal on, making it harder to track down and, and nail down. On top of that, our programmer has a background in encryption and cybersecurity, so we have our own encryption. Um, we have plates on the inside of the drones that help kind of block signals from the sides or not from the antenna from coming in. Uh, quite a few ways. I'm trying not to give away too much. No, I no, no. Yeah, and you shouldn't, right? So, but 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 I mean, these are. Because uh, because we don't obviously we don't want to give away uh, way too much and we don't want to we don't want to actually, you know, if there's some some nefarious listeners out there trying to to figure out what's going on. But but I, I want to kind of if, if you don't mind, I want to pull a little bit on those threads of the things that you talked about. Right. Because because when we talk okay. about we mentioned things like spread spread spectrum, free copying. I'm not so sure all of our listeners understand that. Right. So so what's really cool about this is um, what's clear is you are definitely 
taking actions to actually make it uh, more challenging for Russia to to take these drones on. So for spread spectrum, just as an example, um, and, and I'm I'm going to help you out here a little bit to to to, to talk through it, right? So let's say a transmitter uh, and receiver on a on a drone or on a system could operate between let's say 200 and 300 megahertz. So since the transmitter can operate on that, basically uh, at any given time, the transmitter can transmit on one given frequency, then another frequency, and then it continually frequency hops. And as long as the receiver, the handheld unit, knows what that you know, frequency hop randomization or frequency hopping. It's not really random because they both have to do it. So there's some sequential system, but it's a huge logarithm that is very, very, usually very, very hard to break, right? Then they can continually hop in that spectrum. And the only way that an enemy has the ability to jam that is to jam the entire frequency range of 200 to 300 megahertz. This becomes a huge problem, <laughs> right? For the Russians. Especially. because. Yeah, for spread spectrum. Especially on thousands of megahertz of frequency. Yeah. So, so takes dozens is, of antennas. Yeah, you're right. So the problem is, is they're now going to be targeting their own antennas and their own communication systems and basically shutting down the entire... If, if they can't specifically target your one frequency, right, they're going to be targeting everything to include themselves, fratriciding out their own radios and making it so they can't enable command and control. Is that correct? Essentially, yes. And the unique algorithms that aren't commercially available off the shelf are much harder to peg down and nail. Uh, our spectrum yeah. is actually a little bit wider than what commercial drones are able to operate on. They go above and below where they standard operate. Yeah, I, did, I didn't want to say what the actual frequency range was. So let's just let's just use my 200 to 300 as a as yeah. just an Right. So, so yeah, so we're, again, we're trying to keep this as, as, so, so that's the first thing that you talked about. It's like, so you have frequency hopping, you've got algorithms and, and encryption systems that, that your, your designer can do this. So that's pretty cool. And then there's a thing that we, that we in the EW world, we would call shielding, right? So, yes, um, yeah, even if someone could actually get onto the signal and can figure out the rate hopping and could figure out uh, how to break through the encryption and actually can get to the signal, the, the system is set up so that it's actually trying to maintain the best line of sight to its operator while shielding other avenues trying to approach the antenna. Um, so these are all wonderful, wonderful systems. That This is exactly the kind of thing that you would want. And, and why I think it's really important for companies that like you have to be able to push UAVs in. And I'm not advocating for your company over another company. Please don't get me wrong. But but there's just oh, so many. Like, buying, yeah, there's so many. There's so many. Um, off the shelf systems that that have none of this right <laughs> they're just an open frequency as a matter of fact it even says the frequency on the device right so you flip it over and says the absolutely frequency 49.7 megahertz to be operated and like it, it's it's almost it's almost too easy to jam right so this is really exciting so. And as an electronic warfare officer, I'm excited. Uh, obviously, the audience probably can tell how excited I am to talk about really, really geeky stuff like the electronic spectrum. But um, but yeah, I think this is really, really cool. Can you talk about the size of your drones and, and kind of what, what capabilities they do bring to the, the battle space? Uh, we have various sizes from your standard FPV that's about seven inches up to some that weigh in at about 20 pounds when they take off. Uh, okay, our are, bigger are they ones are payloads or are they are they just uh, non-payload systems? The bigger ones are designed for payloads. Our biggest one carries about 38 pounds, which is wow. quite a bit of presence for uh, the Russians. Now, you did say that your your, UA, your UAVs, UASs are um, are non-weapon, are, are non-lethal, right? So, but are, are yep. they care? Are, have they been modified to be able to carry things that they can drop? Absolutely. Okay, so should they choose? Should they use to go go down that dual purpose path? Then then they can do that. Okay, that, that's uh, that's really really good to hear. And and it, have you heard current, anything back from the Ukrainians about their survival rate? Um, I have not yet. Okay, all right, but they're still ordering more from you and stuff like that, right? Yes, sir. Okay, and are you are you getting your funding through the Ukrainian government to pay for these, or are you are you part of the 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 the, the general fund that you know the the lend lease program? Um, no, sir. Actually, as of now, we've been privately funded. 
we reached out to them with what we had the means to do and have been funding it on our own since then. Okay. And uh, so, so I don't know, did you get a chance? I wrote an article a couple uh, months ago uh, at probably about two months ago that talked about it, the title of it was free bird uh, Valkyrie or, or a, a myriad of other names. Uh, and it was the, it was the potential that um, in the air domain, right in the air domain eventually we're going to get to the point where we have privatized or privateer fighters so the land domain has mercenaries the 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 naval domain or the sea domain has pirates we don't really have an equivalent yet in the air and one of the arguments that i made was um Eventually, especially with the advent uh, and the proliferation of UAVs, you're going to have potentially companies out there that are going to have 20 to 50 combat, if you will, UAVs and operators. And given satellites, Starlink, Wi-Fi, all these types of things, you can potentially have operators sitting anywhere in the world operating UAVs as as a mercenary organization in a given country uh, for a for some cost. Now, granted, it's going to cost a little bit more than the UAV would would be. But that nation that buys that capability would not have to pay for organized training, equipping and maintaining those systems through a peacetime regime right they would only need it during a wartime footing so um do you do you foresee your company potentially going down that path or do you see other companies out there that maybe you're providing drones to actually taking on something like that i absolutely see companies becoming capable of that um especially with things like star shield starlink's defense variant it will probably not be far off in the future Awesome. Awesome. Because I'm, I'm going to need my company, job I'm retired now. So, Yeah. As for my company, I don't plan for us to be mercenaries, but we do plan to deploy teams to disaster and emergency sites to aid in like supply drops and damage assessment. So your your UAVs are still along the, the, the means of, let's say, line of sight operation. You've not dove into, you know, buying satellite time and and having, a, you know, a, a satellite uplink downlink that would enable control of your satellites, correct? Not satellite. No, we've looked into uh, mobile ad hoc and flying ad hoc networks to extend the range beyond visual line of sight. But that would still only add a couple of hundred kilometers. So, so for our listeners out there, I don't, I don't think they understand what like cellular ad hoc is. Can you, can you explain that a little bit? Um, it essentially creates a network similar to the internet by linking all of the drones, military vehicles, other assets together, and creating a miniaturized Wi-Fi network they can all run off of to extend range and functionality. Cool. And, and have you looked at have you looked at all anything like maybe femto cells or actually getting into 4G, 5G capability where the 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 UAV, especially in an urban area, can basically jump from cell to cell to cell to be able to communicate um, uh, just like a, a cellular phone would? Yes, sir. We are in the process of acquiring. Um, they're called OEM onboard and bed modules that will give us GSM capability. Awesome. And is the, is the, is the latency uh, short enough to where you actually can maintain relatively good control of the system? Or are you going to run into a little bit of latency issues with that? The latency up close is pretty good as we get out into the further ranges. It'll slow down a bit, but it's more than enough for what we would need. Awesome. I, I, I know that I'm geeking this place out. Does anyone out there, by the way, have a question for, for Teapot other than me? Or am I have I basically hogged the conversation and, and kind of gone uh, gone a little wild on the site? Dave, did you have any questions for Teapot, maybe? Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, give me a moment. I was writing some down. If you, uh, can, you, can you give me 30 seconds? Sure, sure. No worries. It sounds good. Um, let's see. Um, and and you said you're, you're, you're actively selling drones, obviously, to Ukraine. Are there, do you have other nations that are actually buyers of your Ukraines? Of, of no. Your, uh, UAVs? No. We supply them to the people that supply directly to the units. We don't supply directly to the Ukrainian government. 
Okay. All right. And are you, uh, you know, one, one of the other drones that, that, that we actually have heard a lot about in the Ukraine war is the, the Bakhtari drones, right? Um, and Bakhtari is a company in Ukraine, and they, they, they build a very uh, a, a solid set of drones. Uh, they are beyond line of sight, and they do use satellite systems, and, and, and they look a little bit like the MQ-1 or the MQ-9. Um, are, do, you, do you leverage or work with any, any international organizations like Bakhtari or, or, or companies to actually, you know, advance your technology systems or, or leverage best practices? Uh, we've started to talking to some of the companies that offer the beyond visual line of sight. We're very small at the moment, and that is a huge cost up front. Um, as we're growing, we're trying to get into the more advanced systems. Hmm. Okay. Well, I tell you what, I, you know, it's, what's interesting is I have a very, I'm, I'm going to link you up uh, after this with a, a good friend of mine. So there's a, a really small company uh, here in Austria that does uh, satellite communications at, at a, at a fraction of the cost. Uh, and the, their lead engineer and lead aero designer was a guy who actually put satellite communications on the space shuttle for the, for the very first space shuttles that were going up. So I'm going to link you with him. But uh, before, uh, while I'm doing that, I'm going to turn it over to Dave and let Dave ask some questions. If there's listeners out there that have questions for Teapot, I mean, this is a great, this, I mean, there's been so many questions in this site about how are UAVs working in the battle space? What are they doing? How are they being designed? I mean, we, we literally have the guy who's providing UAVs and UASs to Ukraine right now. So if you have any questions, this is the time to come up and, and ask them. So Dave, your floor. Yeah, sorry. There, I was talking to you. I muted myself. Thanks very much, Jeff. Uh, listen. So, um, a couple of questions. First, the uh, the thing to remember is quite a few people here uh, only know a little bit about drones, right? And uh, sometimes they might be confused. So there are two types. You could be rotary wing or fixed wing. Um, but, and I guess uh, your uh, rotary. So quadcopters, hexacopters, octocopters. Uh, we have quadcopters and hexacopters at the moment with our first fixed wing under development. Ah, wonderful. Well, then I will speak to you if you're doing fixed wing shortly. Uh, right. OK. Um, and then do you want to tell us a little bit more? So there'd be, there's other things to do it. So uh, so some, you've got uh, uh, quadcopters, hexacopters, etc. The the more the more blades, uh, more power. You know, uh, what sort of power is it? Are you all battery powered? You have fuel powered ones? We work exclusively with electric-powered drones at the moment. We've toyed with a few diesel-powered ones. They're just a lot more complicated to maintain. Uh, the hexacopters are designed for heavy lift. The motors are much larger. They provide about 15 kilograms of thrust apiece. Uh, the smaller ones are designed... I'm going to stop you there, right? Yep. I, I, guess, I guess you're the... Are you the lead engineer, are you, by any chance, or the owner, or... Uh... I'm the CEO. Okay, great. Uh, so so uh, most people here won't know what uh, 15 uh, kilograms of thrust is. What does that mean, right, to to someone on the ground, right, who doesn't know anything? You went 15 kilograms of thrust. Is that per rotor or is that in total? That's per rotor, sir. Okay, no, I've worked, I work for my living. So my, my name's David. Uh, please call me David. I feel uncomfortable with anything else. So, right, so if you've got a, it's a, it's a quadcopter, so then that'll be 60 kilograms of thrust. Does that mean it can lift it 50, uh, 60 kilograms? Uh, minus its own weight, yes. Ah, so it's a really quite simple equation if you know it, right? So you can get that. So if you had a, if you've got an octocopter, for instance, I know you've said you don't do them at the moment, but if you did, then there's a lot more, right? Okay, great. And so, so what sort of power? Yeah. You know, so, how much battery do you need for these things then? It varies depending on the use. The FPVs that are probably not coming back don't need as much battery. Um, the heavier ones, dropping items, they need much more battery. Um, some of the bigger batteries get up into the 20, 30,000 mega amp hours are pretty powerful. Okay. Yeah, 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 of course. And, and uh, so people listening, right? So what they, because most people would know they, they might have a battery power pack that they've got for their, you know, they carry around in their, you know, in a rucksack or their briefcase or something like that, you know, to charge their phone, right? What would that be in comparison? Um, depending on how powerful it is, about 10. 
about 10 of those, right? Okay, because it's, you get so people can get an idea. So it's not that big, is it, really? Uh, okay, brilliant. And so I guess when you're talking about the, the, uh, the ones that go out and don't come back out, I think we can assume that they're suicide or something along those lines. Or, or just let's, we, uh, let's call it another way of saying they're, they're, they're designed to be di a, a single-use disposable. <laughs> Expendable, yes. Okay, right. Uh, but I mean, here's the, the benefit of this is that obviously if it's doing something like that, um, but obviously the uh, the controller that, that's being used and the rest of it, that's not expendable, is it? Right. So that's something that's reused. And in actual fact, if you, I guess, can you pair the uh, the controls up with more than one device? I, I, I guess you probably can, right? Most controllers, yeah. They are what's called bind and fly or BNF. And and is that ju just a like an encrypted link you start when you uh, when you go okay I'm pairing this up a bit like you would a Bluetooth mouse or something like that? Yeah, it just that basic command code that allows it to pair to standard uh, transmitters. Okay, brilliant. And out of interest, because most people here will be aware of that they've had problems with their Bluetooth mouses, their Bluetooth mouses, mice, uh, right? So, uh, the, uh, I mean, I, I, presumably it works a little bit better than that, right? So they don't drop in, drop out, as you might do with your poor mouse. No, it's it's much more stable. There are occasional issues with binding, but it's not very common. And 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 if it is... It, as in, let's just say I'm going to use a word. So if it did unbind, what happens at that point? Uh, it would depend on the programming of the drone. Ours are programmed to return to where they took off from. Some will just land. Uh, if they're very cheap, they might just fall out of the sky. So, so let me let me hypothesize something though. So, they've, I mean, the return to sender is brilliant, right? And and I'm assuming is that also something is written into a capability. If it if there's some sort of EW interference, it goes. I'm going to go home. Yes, we have it so that if anything cuts the signal, including jamming, it will automatically return back. Ah, that's wonderful, isn't it? Right, that's w wonderful. Uh, although you, you might, yeah, there might be an obvious, uh, an obvious problem with that though if they follow it. Uh, but that's a separate issue, right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. <coughs> Excuse me. I'll... Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway. Um. So. So your 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 hexacopters, right? So what is the maximum? You know, so think of the if you want it to come back, and you decided you want it to come back, the sort of maximum range uh, there and back you're going to get, right? or, or or fly time, depending on what people are doing. Because I'm assuming some some may take some ordnance, but some may be taking some sort of um, optics with them, or do they all have optics or? Uh, they all have optics, and depending on payload, the flight time can be between 38 and 45 minutes. Okay, great. So, uh, And that's total flight time, so someone would be 15, 20 minutes away. Yeah. Or, or, or in actual fact, they could, depending on, because obviously if it's taking something heavy and it's lighter, right, then th there may be some difference, right? And and how would you, if you wanted something longer, right, at the, uh, do you want to go through with people the problems that might be if you were going to, like you wanted a, an hour's flight time, right? Because obviously because you could just put more batteries, but then then you have other other issues that come in, right? You know, so, i.e., you need more thrust, or you could carry less, or and, and the other issues you might have, you might run out of room. Um, the the battery terminal does have room for an additional battery. It does cost payload, but it does extend the flight time out to almost an hour. Uh, that's great. And and so uh, the uh, the lithium ion batteries are they? Have you looked at any of the other battery techs that are coming out? Um, I think they've got sodium as well, which is. Uh, uh, looking like it might be uh, quite useful in terms of, um, uh, you know, how much uh, power it can take. There are some incredible battery techs coming out. We um, we're actually based right next to a college that is developing a new lithium ion tech, so we have access to some pretty good batteries. <laughs> I don't know, but see, that's 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 the brilliant of where you put your company, isn't it? Right, it's the same with people with data centers that they put them right next to motorways and where people can get on and off and off. That's a really great idea, right? Okay, yeah. and um, we're. Uh, uh, we're right next to SUNY Binghamton in New York, and they've just started a new factory that is producing a lithium-ion battery with almost twice the density. 
well, as you see, and there we are, right? And th these are the problems that are being solved. So all these people who are going, oh, I'm going to get rid of my electric car, going, well, maybe the battery tech's coming out there. Anyway, listen, I've, I do have some more questions for you, uh, but I see that Lee Wei's uh, got his hand up. Lee Wei. Yeah, hi. Thanks for being with us. So I'm coming at this as a, as a total stupid outsider, but there was just recently an article um, – in the press that the DGI um, algorithm, if you will, um, had enough data in it to uh, identify the location of the operator. And so I'm sure you've got some way to avoid that so that booms don't come their way. But but I'm wondering if, if you could talk to that a little bit. Yeah, DJI drones do broadcast the location of the operator. It is encrypted, and there's no evidence to say that China has given Russia the algorithms, but I think it's safe to assume they probably have. The risks are still minimal. It requires some pretty specialized equipment, and I've only seen a few examples of Russians using it in the field. But yes, there is a threat there from commercial drones because unfortunately FAA and European aviation laws require the drones to broadcast things like the pilot's location and to help if there was ever a need for law enforcement. So, so it's, it's encrypted hard enough or enough that it's hard, takes some effort to break anyway, huh? Yeah, it takes, definitely takes some effort. Um, even if they were given the the encryption or decryption keys from from china it would take specialized equipment and trained personnel thank you uh, I'm gonna add, thank you now i'm going to add a little bit here as well though so there's a bit of information that came out recently dgi have apparently uh, come out and said they're going to stop selling anything to uh, to uh, the uh, to russia which is an interesting part to it right now uh, so i used to work in it and uh, uh, what I do know is, so when I, my ears perked up when I heard that you're a bespoke system, and one of the I can I can only assume one of the your the benefits of your system is because uh, if if there's millions of an item, right, it's much much easier to uh, for people to go. We're going to put some resources to this into breaking whatever it is, right? So, uh, but in firewalling and things like that, so um, some of the firewalling systems that aren't ubiquitous um uh, it's much much harder for them to be hacked because guess what right it's not the same programmer who's made that program they've used all sorts of different ways of doing it and finding those problems uh, uh would be a lot harder so there is a distinct benefit to your system isn't there because guess what right russians uh, uh they uh, they may only have found fragments uh, of your of your devices <laughs> and and they may be very very tiny fragments given their use uh so that what what do they actually have to go on right so trying to find uh, work out a problem remotely for someone is i would assume going to be a big problem for them if they're trying to uh, do these uh, sort of ways of trying to see if they could hack your system because they've got limited time as well um i don't have any doubt it'll happen but yeah not having a bulk amount of them out there definitely keeps our system safer and having our own cybersecurity expert to program everything helps a ton yeah, of course. And there's the other thing, because the problems they'll have, right, is firstly, uh, initially, they may not know in what way you've programmed it and, and everything, even if it was just IP chains, right, that you were doing your firewalling on, still has who did it. It, it, is someone using a version of Linux or doing something else or another OS to do it, right? So so there are many, many problems, and the only way they're going to do it is really is when they connect to it and uh, your system's encrypted, right, which is going to add uh, extra problems. So uh, do you have any, out of interest, do you have any uh, fail-safes in there uh, that you can talk about? Yes. So it could just be, yes, we have a fail-safe. Uh, no, we don't have a fail-safe. Uh, we have numerous fail-safes that are designed to fry out all of the computers in the event the drone goes down without fully being destroyed. Uh, see, there's that. You really put a lot of thought into that. That's genius stuff. Anyway, there's some more hands. I do have more questions, so don't think you're, we're going to let you off lightly. There's going to be a bit more time here. Nick, I'm going to ignore you for a moment. I'm going to go to Hop C. Oh, sorry, muting problems. Um... I think what the, my question may have been answered just a few seconds ago. So I'll pivot a little bit on that. Um, 
If, uh, if we were to dumb down, and I don't know what kind of signal strengths we're talking about coming out of the drone and the controller, but uh, if, a, if the Russians were to dumb it down and just try and do DFing, not trying to break the encryption, but just looking at signal source, is that even possible in the, uh, with, all, with all the activity that you would see um, in, a, in a typical battle? Uh, area or uh, do they you know is there is there a capability for that to be to be tracked via line of sight to, you know and, and possibly giving somebody a um, area of probability if they're able to triangulate it or something like that or is that just totally unrealistic I, I'm showing my ignorance here but uh, I was just wondering about that it's always theoretically possible in battle conditions it would be extremely difficult there would be a lot of background em noise from various communications equipment uh explosions create a little bit of noise uh, malfunctioning power grids it would be incredibly difficult but theoretically possible Thanks. That's all. And, and wonderful. Uh, but uh, do you, can you explain what DFing is? Because of course, uh, the uh, uh, most of us are real dimwit. I say, so, no, there's one dimwit. That's me. Everyone else is very bright. But I need to know what DFing is. Uh, DFing sort of came into the. It, it it's existed for a long time. The military uh, applications of it actually started. Sorry, can I stop you there? What is it? Uh, yeah. Oh, it's direction finding. Yeah, no, 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 you do. No, you see, I, I could work that bit out. Okay, great. Right. So, do, and now give a little bit more explanation of uh, of DFing. Then that would be wonderful. Well, um, basically, it's using uh, any any um, any emitter can be used against itself. I mean, uh, to to track a uh, line of bearing. So you're sitting at at point A and. Uh, the and you're you know you've got a, a DF capable antenna, a direction finding capable antenna, and uh, the operator sitting at point B, and he's broadcasting a constant signal um, uh, to the drone or to you know this also works for ground unencrypted ground commit communications, uh, but it doesn't have to be encrypted to get a line of bearing. But with all the signal noise that was described. Um, it, it's probably very difficult to extreme to impossible in the real world. But let's say you're at point A and you get a line of bearing out to drone operator B, and then somewhere off at point C, you get another line of bearing from another uh, DF antenna. And those where those beams cross is where whoever's operating uh, that drone, the operator, is underneath where those two beams cross. And it's it's been around since World War II. <clears throat> beams can be bent. All sorts of things can be done to jam this. doesn't even sound like it's necessary to do that in the current, uh, at the operating ranges these things uh, are doing. But that's basic uh, DFing for, um, that's DFing, not even 101. That's, that's high school DFing. So, um... <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. That's that's brilliant, right? And uh, listen, right? Uh, Dimwits like me, we just don't understand this stuff. Okay, uh, Nick, go on. Give us your questions. No, it was just an observation about the batteries. Um, sodium batteries are, I think, always going to be a little bit less good than lithium, uh, and I think their main application is going to be in making uh, in making batteries generally more affordable. Um, so, for military applications where every every bit of juice counts you're going to want a lithium battery but it's going to be easier for us to make uh big but where 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 the size doesn't matter where the absolute power density doesn't matter things like uh have you heard of things like the tesla wall where you just hang a load of batteries in your garage yeah i wouldn't and, do it it's useless <laughs> well okay but the idea is that you can basically ride out a, a grid outage of 30 minutes or 60 minutes. And if our, our energy systems, the grid-based energy system, 99% of the cost of it is the fact that we never, ever want it to go off for one second. If every uh, 
electricity consumer had the ability to survive a power outage of five minutes, uh, the grid could be so much simpler uh, and cheaper. And okay. so the, the, these big walls of batteries allow you uh, to do that. Uh, but they are expensive because lithium, although it's a fairly abundant element, is quite hard to get, whereas sodium is just it. You know, we're never <laughs> – silicon and sodium, the two elements we're never going to run out of. Uh, and so um, – the yeah, but lithium does uh, okay. will always give you the better, okay. the better energy density. Oh, wonderful. So that that, anyway, so I, I was looking at thinking there's a different type one that has a, a bit more energy density. Uh, but anyway, let's get back to uh, our uh, our uh, our. I was going to say helicopters. They're not helicopters. They're they're, they're, they're quadcopters, right? So uh, one of the things that um, it occurs to me um, is uh, my brain's gone dead. I'm really sorry there, Colonel Jeff. I've just looked at something. Brains died. Can you give me twenty seconds? <laughs> it's all right, Dick. Uh, to be to be fair, I you, you can't imagine how happy I am that someone else was as excited as I am about geeking out on the electromagnetic spectrum, signal processing, electronic protect systems, electronic warfare, uh, signal shielding, and all these types of things. So so Teapot. Uh, uh, I, I I hope we don't sound like a bunch of, you know, young kids fawning over you, but this is really cool for us and for our listeners. And we rarely get a chance to, to talk to someone like you and with your expertise and, and what you're doing. And, you know, on a, on a grander scale, what I would also say is thank you so much for what you're doing, because every little bit helps. And the fact that you're literally pushing actual real assets downrange into the hands of the Ukrainian armed forces and, and, and they're being used, um, you, you should be you should be sleeping pretty proud every night because that's a big deal. So so at least for me, thank you very much. Not a problem. Thank you for having me. Hopefully we can get some exposure and start making some more. Right now, our, our hardest problem is getting getting out there. Of course it is. Uh, because basically, you need people to understand uh, you've got the availability and what you want to do, right? And, and that's part of what the space does, right? Uh, get those people understand. Hopefully there's someone who's listening and might, might be able to contact you. Uh, so anyway, uh, so my next question, and it, I, I'm going to blame Nick for my brain go, going dead. That's uh, that's another Nick noggin that is a, a, me- a term of measurement. Um, so what? it's a big change when you're going to fixed wing. Um, or I assume it's a big change because you're a difference in uh, you know flight dynamics and and all the other sorts of things. And so, what's your your fixed wing for? The fixed wing is going to be for much longer range missions with much heavier payloads. Uh, in total, it's got a wingspan of about seven foot wide and almost twenty one foot long. Oh, brilliant! Right, and and so what sort of so when you say uh, payloads, uh, I'm assuming it's a, a munition of some sort, right? But it doesn't have to be. Um, so, what sort of speed do you think they'll reach? Uh, our early model came in at about 325 miles an hour. Ah, now that's very good, isn't it? That's quite that's quite fast because loads of the stuff you see, they're all around about the the hundred and twenty hundred. So I will. By the way, I will hit you up after this. I I, I there's a, I have a I have a I have an idea, right? But I have ideas all the time. But anyway, let's talk about. It. So right. So um, if you look, if it's for speed, are you able to tell us what your uh, because that's considerably faster than most of the stuff we see and hear about, right? Are you able to say what it's for? Um, it's a multi-role craft. Pretty much whatever they need it for, it can carry a multitude of payloads, has a couple of hard points for mounting different things like sensor pods or munitions if needed. Um, the speed comes from an electric engine mixed with a, a turbojet, essentially. It allows us to compress the air as it comes in and then expand it going out almost like a rocket engine. So this is this is actually yeah, this is yeah, yeah, this is actually really kind of a, a cool a, a, a great discussion point here, TFOD. And 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 I love the fact that you brought this up, right? Because uh if you look at uh US Air Force assets like the Global Hawk or the U-2, right? These are nothing more than platforms that carry payloads. And I think sometimes we get we get lost in the sauce of what could be the pay- like that th- this could y- your your drone could theoretically, right? This 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 fixed wing UAV could theoretically be loaded with nothing more than a camera that records uh, and it can go out and do reconnaissance and actually do target identification, things like that. 
uh, and bring it back. And it can do it in, in, at a speed in which it would be theoretically safer and go into places where manned aircraft would have more challenges. And the payload was nothing more than, than a camera. Theoretically, as you said, it could also be munitions or other things. It really depends on how they want to use the munition. The reason I find this so interesting, right, is there, there are theories out there, and I'm not saying there are right theories or wrong theories. I'm just saying there are theories that slower-moving UAVs uh, under 100 miles an hour, quadcopters um, and, and things like that, or smaller fixed-wing drones that, that go 50, 60 miles an hour, right? These things are not being shot down by uh, surface-to-air missile systems, whether they be radar-guided or man pads, because, number one, they don't give off an IR signature that's within the field of view of the IR missile. Uh, and they don't also um, – they're going too slow for the radar uh, to, for, for what – we would call a moving target indicator, right? So that radar operator is going to tune out everything that's that's not moving, right? He doesn't want to see tree clutter and land clutter and buildings. And he also doesn't want to see cars driving on the road or on hills. So anything under 100, 150 miles an hour, he's going to filter away in what is called his moving target indicator. But now your drone is going to have a speed in which theoretically, depending on how big your drone is and how good the radar is, um, he is going to be able to see it and engage it with a missile. And do you see, do you, do you take umbrage with anything I've said up to this point? <laughs> I do not. Okay, um, so, that's all very so are, sound. Yeah. Are you going, is there going to be some kind of defensive systems on this or... You know, uh, yeah, we touched on it. We touched on it once in a thread. We were actually working on a sort of flare mechanism that hopefully yes. would help defend. But yeah, we are concerned that it might be picked up on on air defense. Yeah, that that's a, that's a really interesting. I mean, because now you're getting up with the big boys, right? You're he's getting up there with the big boys, dude, right? So so this is this is somewhat fascinating. The other thing that that I think is really cool about this this drone at that speed, right? Um, you're quickly beyond line of sight <laughs> um, at at those speeds. So you almost you're indicating just by the the speed that it's almost going to have a pre planned waypoint flight route and go perform a mission and kind of come back. I mean, unless you're planning on it being at a higher altitude and doing like overhead combat air patrol line of sight and then kind of dive in, I, I see there's there's many tactics and techniques and procedures that this thing can be used for. But if you truly want a deep strike, you're beyond line of sight immediately. And you're now you're talking waypoints. The, the bad news is, you, is you've lost act, you know immediate control of the asset. The good news is if it's beyond line of sight in doing those types of things, it's also less pervious. It, it's less susceptible to enemy jamming because they can try and jam it all at once. It's already going it, it to – it doesn't need any feedback through the electric spectrum of what to do. It already knows what it's going to go do, right? It, at this point, the only option is to shoot it down. Nailed it right on the head. Okay. Well, phew. good, man. Maybe they'll take me back. Uh, T, uh, so, so Tifa, is there anything else you could tell us about this thing that, that uh, I want to, I don't want to steal the floor from you, but I, I find this is a really interesting discussion. So uh, before we go any further, I, I have some questions though, right? So yeah, go, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I'm very interested in this. So, right. So the, uh, uh, the uh, it will materialize maybe another time. So um, uh, what's the stall speed? So we've got max speed. What's stall speed? We haven't tested the stall speed yet. On paper, it is about 80, 85 miles an hour. Oh. Right. Hopefully so that, we don't have to. Uh, and, uh, okay, so so you're saying, so you could, you could, in actual fact, if you wanted to, uh, you could be dropping down to 90 mile an hour or 100 mile an hour, uh, uh, stay at, I don't know. I'm just going to give you an idea. Three thousand meters, whatever it is, and and uh, run a, a holding pattern, and that would conserve battery power, etc. Because I'm assuming, that, I mean, the, uh, because it's much much bigger, so you'll have a bigger a, a bigger battery. So you would have this is be something a little bit more like um, over an hour's flight times. Would that be right? Oh, much much longer than an hour. Yes, sir. 
Okay, so holding, doing a, a, a like a flight holding pattern would be something feasible at 100, at 100 miles an hour, and we'd give you a lot more battery power, as in a longer flight time. Uh, uh, not flight time isn't the right word. Uh, amount of time in the air, if that's probably the right way of saying it. Yeah, and there is a situational awareness package that that comes with pods that equip to it that includes sensors and extra batteries to keep it in the air longer. Oh, see, then that's very, very, very interesting stuff, isn't it? Right, because you've got something that now that uh, can fly at a a an efficient speed as opposed to top speed and something else. All right, that's good. Goes Colonel Jeff, take over. Yeah, so we have a question from from another Dave who sent a DM, uh, and his question was when when you you mentioned. Uh, Tifat, that all of your um, all of your drones have an optics package. Do you do you relatively put the exact same optics passage on all your drones, or do you have like special ones that have recording capability or a better magnification, or maybe your EOIR that means electro optic or infrared? Um, do, do, do you have a different kind of sensor suite when we talk about optics, or, or do you have just kind of like a base model? Uh, we have two basic kits we put in. One is just a regular high-end visual optics in 6K. The other is the infrared option. Okay, uh, so you do, you, you, do, you do have IR. In, with your IR, I presume you have magnification capability as well? Yep, yep. Both, both optics have magnification. The IR is not quite as, as powerful as the visual. It only goes up to times 10. The visual goes up to times 50. Yeah, it's hard. It's it's really it's it's hard to to do optics with IR. I mean, I, when you start even the best in, thermal in the world is is rough when you start zooming. <laughs> exactly. I, I I know I know how you feel. I know how you feel. You're like, well, I, why can't I see that? So, um, yeah, I I think Dave. I don't see any other questions. No, 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 no. So no, no, don't don't you don't stop me here. Don't cut me off. Uh, I'm not yeah. gonna cut you off. <laughs> That's I mean, good. We've got some hands. We've got some hands. <laughs> Oh, I got another question that came in. Um, they they wanted to. <laughs> Connor O'Brien asked, "Goes, do you have any plans to put mini guns on the drones?" <laughs> Not I at the moment. <laughs> I love that. I love. Hey, you, if, if Tfot, you can come back here anytime you want. Our people will come up with some crazy, wonderful ideas. I like mini guns. I, I it, it would be really cool if you could build the drone that becomes the drone version of the AC-130 gunship, right? So you, you create some kind of drone that has a side-firing 105 howitzer kicking off the side. <laughs> that that would be awesome. That would be an incredible drone. Uh, wonderful. So, listen, I, I have a series of questions, right? So, there's, uh, uh, I'm going to be, be, people are being messaging me, and because uh, I, you know, I'm not very good at this, uh, be, it's called multitasking. I don't do it very well. Uh, the, so, I'm looking at some messages. Uh, the uh, first one, uh, here you are, I'm going, um, yes. So, yeah, where we talked uh, originally about the, uh, uh, the return to sender option, right? Are there any mitigations for someone just following it and going, it's going in? that direction right i.e let's um, let's just as an example we're talking about your quadcopters now as opposed to your plane uh um and it you know there's it, it does a uh, right it there's it, c it comes across some ew and decides to go home does it instead of just going directly home does it like take a oh i'm gonna go left and then right and then circa take a circuit home as opposed to directly as it so to mitigate anyone going let's follow it in the land rover or that's in the direction where it's going to go we, we reckon it's got a battery this size because you could guess these factors can't you if you know speed and go okay it'll be about 10 kilometers over in that direction uh, it does come in from the from an angled side it also goes up before it moves anywhere to a little over 450 meters to try and keep it as out of sight as possible and then zips off as fast as it can in a v-shape almost all right it does not go okay, directly. I mean, these are all things that the, you would, you most people would think, but you know, these are these are stuff that sometimes you know, someone goes, "Oh, I forgot to do that," because there's many a time I've done that in IT. I'm going, "Oh, I wish I'd have done that." Now, a couple more questions coming in. Uh, oh yes, we have a, a question about um, uh, uh, what are your thoughts about um, uh, single units and swarm swarm use of drones. 
swarm use could be very, very beneficial for things like situational awareness, have different types of sensors in the drones, have the swarm sending information to the squad commander. You could cover entire areas and know exactly what's going on around you. Uh, which is which is great. Now, I've, uh, uh, there's a following a follow one I have on from this. Uh, so uh, the uh, you know, let's just say uh, I'm just making this up as I'm going along. Right. So let's just say you've got a, a uh, you've got a swarm. I don't know what a swarm is. Maybe it's be more than one, I guess. Right. So you've got six. Uh, uh, six uh, um, of your um, your drones. It would would that be something that one person would be able to do all by themselves? I'm, I'm assuming you wouldn't need six people, would you? Because you've you've got one drone doing something, or you were just watching a a computer looking at different um, a bit like a security guard. They've got a, a number of screens, and they press that button, press that button, press that button. Is that how, do you think? Uh, generally with swarms you have a master drone that the pilot is controlling and you have several smaller drones that basically do secondary operations based off what the primary drone is doing uh, oh that's very interesting i did not know that right okay so so like you say so the one bit so if one drone goes down then uh, so in actual fact so the, the i guess the limiting factor is if someone finds which works out which is although by accident get the master drone and everything goes down would that be correct yeah uh, a little a couple more one second <laughs> it will be when i can get back to those messages yeah so while you're doing that I, I, we brought up um we brought up wolverines and wolverine i know that you had uh sent me some dms about about these um about these drones that and you might have some insights did you want to say anything or were you uh or did you want to talk about them Oh, hi. Uh, actually, uh, I know one information that our guys, uh, Wolverine's guys, uh, they had some uh, talk and made suggestions with the Ukrainian intelligence chief, Budanov, uh, make suggestions about uh, about jump, jump 20s. And uh, uh, later, uh, our guys assisted to make a request to the U.S. government to send them to Ukraine, and it was done. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, awesome. Hey, Tifa, while, while we have you up here, because I know we're probably going to start uh, running out of questions, uh, I wanted to give you a floor, and, and maybe you could share with our listeners if they have any more, uh, if they have any kind of desire to look um, at, at your website or look at what you're doing or maybe reach out and, 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 and support you in any way, could you share with them your information on, on how they could, could, could do that, please? Uh, yeah, the link is in my bio on Twitter. Uh, the company page has a, a whole page just on our drone aid for Ukraine. Uh, we have a web shop where all the revenue goes towards building drones to send over, helping all that. Uh, really, all the information is on our page. There's there's a lot. Uh, at the moment, we're getting ready to, like I said, send a team over. We're going to hopefully build them directly on the ground in Ukraine. We've been working with a couple of teams out of Kharkiv. It would definitely cut down the time to get them there because at the moment, uh, we ship them from our, our workshop here. It's 33 days before they even touch the ground and then another couple days to get them to the front. And are, so, are you going through? Are you going through Poland and through a through a third party transfer kind of entity, and then shipping them in, or or or, or there? I mean, yeah, I'm sure you probably. I'm sure you probably already looked at it. If there, but you know, there's the logistics tales of getting the Ukraine are hard for everybody. But um, it, there's nothing faster that you found yet. Not that we found. We're going through an agent in New York City that works with a few different aided organizations that are sending stuff over. Uh, it's mostly about just the bulk volume they're, they're handling. We uh, we send stuff over. We got like one or two items. They're worried about shipping full pallets. I, I'm going to add a little bit to this to anyone who doesn't know, right? So shipping stuff between countries that are several thousand miles away can be extraordinarily expensive if you need to do it quickly. Uh, it, it, you know, um, weight is a big thing, right? If you want to send 100, 100 drones to somewhere, big amount of weight, it will cost an absolute fortune. So uh, the and here's the thing. Uh, if you're making a, a, if you're making them in, in Ukraine, you don't have to worry about the customs officials 
signing all the paperwork that goes in it. What have you done there? It's just been made there. And there's some distinct advantages, of course, right? Um, are they out of interest, uh, um, uh, uh, Teapot? Are they, um, are they uh, the people going, are they Ukrainian or are they American? Uh, we actually work with a company in. Oh no, no, we're American. Our team is. Oh no, I know you're American, but the the people who will be making them uh, and going over there, who might be in Kharkiv or somewhere in Ukraine, right? It could be anywhere. Um, uh, uh, will they be uh, Americans or will they will be uh, uh, Ukrainians? They'll be Americans. It'll be me and three members of my staff. All oh, right, so you'll be going over there as well. Oh, nice work, nice work, right? Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, that's brilliant, right? So, uh, and I have another question, uh, right, which is uh, to do with uh, drones being used to overload an air defence system, right, which is uh, the reverse of what we've been saying that the Russians have attempted to do uh, to Ukraine by sending um, X number, right? But do you see uh, that that might be a use uh, that Ukraine could be using? Right, i.e., uh, let's just say there's a, a a battery somewhere, an air defence battery. They would send you. They might be able to send drones to do that that job. In actual fact, I, when I think about it, that your fast plane might, in actual fact, be something like that. It would be a quite a quite a cheaper way of doing it. I think. Oh, absolutely. Uh, our drone costs a little over ten thousand dollars to make the the fixed wing. Mm-hmm. And ten of those is still cheaper than taking it out with a GM, GMLRS strike. Yeah, so that's so that's pretty impressive, right? So if you if you do the cost benefit mm-hmm. analysis here, right? So this this is really cool, right? Um, you you know you you've got a drone that can travel over three hundred miles an hour, uh, which is clearly within the ability to be seen by a radar. Right. And um, uh, and, uh, you know, it, it at 300 miles an hour, 300 plus, it will look like a, a fighter aircraft. Right. It, it'll have capabilities of looking like a fighter aircraft, which means the you're forcing the Russian SAM operator to either think it's a drone and guess or shoot it down. And if the answer is latter and you start looking at as the cost of an S-300 missile or an S-400 missile, you're talking in the neighborhood of 100000 to $150,000 per missile. So, mm. you know, you're you're on the right side of a cost equation if you're trying to have an economic war. That's that's very impressive, Steve. And you can absolutely deploy five or six and overwhelm their ability to shoot them all down and still have strike capability and uh, which still be is- less than a single shot. Yeah, which is the brilliance of the question, really, isn't it? Because that's really what it's saying is, what can you do? And here you are and taking out. So uh, let's, as an example, uh, I think, I'm not sure if it was you. I was talking with you about it, Colonel Jeff, is that the fact that um, the Russians don't have that many radar systems left or they seem to be losing the radar systems, right? And once you've taken the radar systems, if those things can't see them, all right, that's actually a really, really great, as you said, uh, strike capability. Mm, Brilliant. Um. So I do have another question, really, which is about your uh, your fixed wing. Um, r- roughly sort of range? Uh, we've tested it to about 300 kilometers. Oh, that's very good. Very good. And 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 uh, th- would that be uh, that would be there and back or that's just the extent of a single use? That was its range from our operations base. Oh, OK. Oh. Yeah. Hey, hey, Steve, can you tell me on your on your fixed wing, um, what kind of of um, angular cutback uh, is the is the leading edge of the wing? I, I, I can't imagine at 300 miles an hour, you've got a, a wing line that uh, looks like a, an MQ1 or an MQ9 that's got this straight across wing. There has there has to be some buckle of that that wing line aft. Can you can you talk to that a little bit about what it looks like? It is a bit swept back. It's not terribly swept back. It's a roughly 15-degree sweep. Okay, so you have a 15-degree sweep. And, and with that sweep, do you, do you find having any problems, um, you know, recovering the drone and, and landing it back at, at, at landing speeds? Is it, is it relatively stable at the slower speeds for landing? Yeah. Um, once we get down, we've, we've set the cruising speed on paper at about 110. Once you start getting below that, it gets a little choppy trying to keep it stable. Um, anywhere from 110 up to 320, it flew like a dream. 
Okay, cool. So yeah, because usually when you know, you know this, and I know this, right? But for our listeners, when you the the beauty of having a, a swept wing means that you get uh, greater performance at higher speeds, and you can go faster. The downfall of a swept wing <laughs> is at slower speeds, like trying to land, uh, you lose maneuverability and control. So uh, this is one of the reasons the F-14 actually had a, a, a maneuvering wing, right, forward and aft, and, and yep. so does the uh, Su-24 Fencer. But there's a sweet spot in there, right, that I think many, many aircraft engineer designers are always trying to find is what's the perfect what's the perfect amount of sweep to, to enable me to, to get the airspeed that I want to achieve without burning too much fuel, all the while still being able to actually control this for, for both takeoff and landing, right? Because getting the air, getting the asset into the air also uh, is a little bit of a challenge with a swept wing. The shape of the wing was also incredibly difficult to figure out the bottom of the wing had to be perfectly flat yeah uh, you know it's it the, the the running joke among among the uh, the the big air the, the big airline manufacturers like boeing and airbus and and, and the, the this you know they they all the fuselages all look alike and the engines all look alike but the secret sauce is all in the wing right so so that, that's where that's where the that's where the copyright information is and that's where the secret sauce is it's all in the design of the wing we have a custom airfoil and it is incredibly painful to to design one you probably have it copyrighted too i'm gonna guess or patented patent pending okay perfect awesome all right hey dave i, I think i think we beat up oh wait we have one more question so I'm no no we we, we do have more we do have more questions uh, but anyway i keep going leonard go ahead Hi. Um, when I heard that you had so long lead times to get equipment into Ukraine, um, especially when we have um, the cars delivering uh, humanitarian aid, all declared, all official, but usually it's um, it's quite fast process to to get equipment in, into Ukraine. Um, so if you want to DM me, uh, maybe I can help out a little bit. Um, usually it's uh, basically a, a couple of days, and we have equipment inside Ukraine. Uh, irregular transport currently, but uh, we do we do send uh, say cars in, into Ukraine, and there's you there's usually space for uh, for other equipment. So you can always contact me. That'd be awesome. Thank you. And, um, and uh, I'm dreaming about. Uh, sorry. Uh, you you go on. I was interrupting. No worries. I'm dreaming about uh, um, a fixed wing with a GPS coordinate and, and, a, and a decent payload and uh, a number of them uh, going into uh, certain targets inside Russia. That would be pretty awesome. That's the dream. If we could only have something that continually geolocated Vladimir Putin, uh, his precise location at all times, that, that would be unbelievable. Unfortunately, the United Nations says that, that it's actually against the, the law to actually uh, assassinate a world leader, but I, I, I'm, not, I'm not so sure that, that there are too many people would be upset about that. I mean, I, the, with a simple Google search and a decent, decent, basically, Google Earth, you should be able to find a large number of targets, uh, which is not head of state, but still a valuable military target. So, uh, I don't think there's an issue. Yeah, that that's true. Those those buildings, the Kremlin doesn't move. It's it's not on it's not on tank treads. So it's uh, it's we we know where it is. So um, so thanks for the question. I greatly appreciate it. And uh, thanks for reaching out to uh, today uh, to uh, uh, to Tifat after this. It's it's uh, it's appreciative. I'm sure he's going to be very grateful to to try and get a little bit of help to to shorten that. Uh, logistics uh, can anyone tail. hear me? It's it's a little bit of long. Yeah, get your very appreciated. Okay, wonderful. So I've got I've got two questions, right? So at the very start, you talked about said that so you're not mi you're not a military um, uh, drone operator. So most people won't know the difference between a military drone and a commercial drone and something that might even be in the middle, which would be uh, bespoke. Uh, yeah, military drones are drones that are dedicated military purpose things like the MQ8. The, the Reapers and Predators are all military, the Shahed. Uh, civilian drones are more common, like your, your DJI quadcopters, your Autels. And then you have your dual use, which is where we fall in. Ours aren't 
ours aren't supposed to be used for military, but they are very easily converted for military use. I'm you know, trying to trying to hit my mic. It's not working. So that's brilliant. So one last question. So what's the, the what's the um, uh, how many do you think you could do in a month? Uh, if we were to get unlimited funding and added a couple of staff members, we could pump out probably 100 or more a month easily with just the machinery we already have. <laughs> Okay, well, that's brilliant news. Okay, right. So then to wrap this up, uh, so you're a bespoke uh, uh, drone operator. You have you do um, uh, quadcopters, hexacopters uh, going from uh, uh, small to large, and you have a fixed wing uh, coming in that in actual fact looks like it could have a, uh, um, uh, you know, will be going quite a bit faster than most of the other ones coming in, right? So if anyone's listening, get in contact with uh, I've, uh, uh, I was going to go you teapot is it a teapot so i keep I, I, because i make tea i was thinking teapots so teapot steve get in contact with him and then uh, you can see what we can do hey yeah perfect perfect uh wrap up there dave greatly appreciate it uh steve thanks again for coming on i know it was short notice i truly appreciate you sharing some insights on how uavs are actually making a making a difference and being a game changer in in uh, in ukraine keep doing what you're doing stay stay stay, stay safe when you're over Ukraine, stay low. Uh, I'm, I'm, like I said, I, I don't know you, but I'm really proud of you for going over and doing this. This is awesome stuff. I'm glad you shared the information. Folks, if you want to reach out to, to Stephen and, and Tifa, like I said, his information is is in there. And uh, if you know, if you uh, it, uh, it, since we've given uh, a, a good a good platform for you, uh, if you want to put on your first quadcopter going your next quadcopter going over there from Maria Report with Love uh, on there, we'd we'd love that as a sticker on there. We greatly appreciate it. So because um, we are <laughs> awesome, sounds good. Uh, it's that's and and send us a picture because we'd love to we'd love to see a picture of it on. That'd be awesome. But uh, I'll, I'll I'll give you the final word. You can kind of wrap up what anything you want to say, and then we'll uh, we'll jump onto another topic hey thanks for having me i'm happy to come on anytime check out our page and uh if anybody has any questions feel free to message me anytime awesome thanks a lot wonderful all right 